and you're absolutely right that it's driven by the, having dealt with the opposite for so long of it being something that no one seems to want and then all of a sudden multiple people want you at the same time and you're gonna ride that train as far as it goes and unfortunately if you don't exercise some restraint on the way there you end up hurting not just them but yourself Welcome to Making Polyamory Work. Hi, I'm Libby Sinback, and I want to thank you for joining me today. I'm a queer polyamorous mom and an integrative relationship guide, and I am committed to helping people who live in love outside the status quo have extraordinary relationships because relationships are at the core of our well-being as humans. I think love is why we're here and how we heal. Today's episode is part two of my conversation with Alyssa Gonzalez. Alyssa is the author of Non-Monogamy and Neurodiversity, A More Than Two Essentials Guide. Alyssa wrote the book for neurodivergent people who are considering and or are practicing non-monogamy to help them understand both how well-suited they are to non-monogamy and also help them manage the challenges that being neurodivergent can bring to non-monogamy. In part one, we largely talk about the first thing, why being neurodivergent makes you especially well-suited for non-monogamy and why non-monogamy is a really good fit if you are neurodivergent. And part two, we are going to talk about where it can be especially challenging if you're neurodivergent and you are non-monogamous. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the strategies to help you if you are facing some of those challenges. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I do recommend you hop on over and listen to part one first, but now we're just going to dive into part two of my conversation with Alyssa Gonzalez. We talked about RSD already. What are some of the yeah. things you've heard about that sound that make it sound like it would be really hard? Like, cause you said before we uh, started mm-hmm. recording that there are people who are like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if that's something I'm capable of. I don't know if I could handle it. And and mm-hmm. even citing their neurodivergence as one of the reasons why. And I guess I'm curious what you've heard from people about why that feels not possible. One big one is that for a lot of us, especially those of us that are autistic, definitions can be a very useful foundation for how we understand our worlds, like definitions and categories. A, a lot of us are very fond of categories. There's there's an idea that I, I wish the people who inv- created Pokemon would confirm that their franchise is more or less designed for the way autistic minds work because it's a whole game with not one single reflex-based challenge in it that is totally based on the putting things in categories and we're making eye contact with an NPC as an act of aggression. (laughs) 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 But but point there is when we're confronted with a world whose patterns don't make a whole lot of sense and then people tell us when you have a romantic partner, that means you do these things with them and you don't do these things with other people. And if you have a person where these things are true, that means they're your romantic partner. 
and you do these things with your friends. And so if you do these things with your friends, that makes them a friend. And I, you can build a whole structure of how human relationships work out of all these definitions. And sometimes you'll find edge cases and exceptions that test all of this because humans are complicated and messy. But what those definitions are useful and non-monogamy asks us to systematically deconstruct most of them. Mm. And that can be extraordinarily frightening for someone who is using that to try to make anything about interacting in the wider world make sense. So in, so in a way, <laughs> the rules, the, the compulsory, monog compulsory monogamy <laughs> and the rules yeah. and the rigidity that, mm -hmm. you know, this is a friend, this is a lover, this is a partner, this is a mm -hmm. spouse, et cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a family member. These all things are, these are the very mm -hmm. rigid categories. That's comforting. Yes. And and to let go of it and embrace some vagueness to mm -hmm. certain autistic brains. I'm not going to say all of them, but like certain autistic yeah. brains can feel very mm -hmm. destabilizing and challenging. Mm -hmm. Very much. And and so I can imagine for a lot of people, especially people who've been confronted with a lot of loneliness and abandonment, say that trying to erode the distinction between you know, the, your romantic one and only, who is the person who's going to be there, ride or die for you specifically, and who has to be your closest confidant and so on, and other people you're close to. That can feel a lot like being abandoned, I think. Mm, well, and you are. I mean, I think that a lot of people struggle with this, actually, when they do let go of the mm -hmm. rigid categories. Mm -hmm. It's it's a grief process because there is yeah. a thing that you thought you had mm -hmm. that you could really lean on, yeah. you know, and then suddenly that thing that you could lean on that was a secure like pillar of how you mm -hmm. saw the world. If that's not yeah. there, mm -hmm. you have to you have to feel this. There is a lot of sadness, I think, with losing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even if you're definitely. not being actually abandoned, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a definite sense that you're taking something apart and don't have its replacement ready at hand. But the good news is you're in, you're in this project to build that replacement. Yeah. And it gets to be a custom job now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything else that you have heard or experienced yourself that has felt like a challenge? for your brain. I can tell you what mine is, but I'm going to save it. <laughs> so one I've had to deal with a lot is alexithymia. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's uh, for people who don't speak you know, science is a situation that a lot of neurodivergent people can deal with where we have difficulty identifying our own emotions, especially if we're currently experiencing a strong one or, or several strong ones at once. I think a lot of different varieties of neurodivergence can confront this kind of thing. Yeah. And it is difficult to have conversations about emotions you can't name. And it's difficult to figure out the, what the situation even is if you're having trouble figuring out how you feel about it and like what the reason your elevated heart rate and outsized reaction to something that just happened around you is about. And, and especially in a situation as likely to confront a person with new situations as a uh, entering into a non-monogamous relationship model can be like uh, developing some skill with identifying emotions is extremely helpful and and not being able to do that can cause a, a lot of unnecessary heartache yeah mm -hmm. yeah i think that's mm -hmm. a really good one 
I'll throw out mine, mm-hmm. which is um, mm-hmm. uh, time blindness. <laughs> that's a big uh, that's, one. That that's something, all right. Yeah. You know, you're on a date with somebody. I mean, I have a habit and it's an important habit for me of putting mm-hmm. away any technology when I'm spending quality time mm-hmm. with somebody. Right. But then I can lose my ability to know how much time has passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like, that's the thing a lot of people experience, but I think I struggle mm-hmm. with it extra. And um, mm-hmm. and sometimes I also have a hard time sort of gauging how much time something will take. I'll overestimate some tasks and I'll underestimate others. And mm-hmm. it means that I my time management is not what I would like it to be mm-hmm. because of that. And and I think, you know, when we talk about managing multiple relationships and putting mm-hmm. different people on your calendar and managing schedules and a lot of people looking mm-hmm. for the consistency and the showing up as a signal mm-hmm. that you're important, that you're being thought right. of, that mm-hmm. um, that you're not going to get abandoned, that you're going to be prioritized, all of mm-hmm. that. Um, and to make sure that you're getting the time that you want with the, your people, like that also can be a mm-hmm. source of anxiety for people. Being a person who's bad with time can mean mm-hmm. those two things can really clash, right? If somebody's really yes. looking to find security in how I, how well I manage my time, if they're looking, mm-hmm. they're feeling like, oh, you're important to me if I show up on time for you. That's not how it works in my brain. You're important to me if mm-hmm. I made time for you. Um, <laughs> uh, but if I show up I on time, write that one down. <laughs> <laughs> but if I don't show up on time, that doesn't mean I don't care. It just means I fuck this shit up sometimes. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a running gag in the circles I run in that Google Calendar is an extra partner in every polycule. Oh, my God. Well, this is another example of how technology is very mm-hmm. assistative. You know, at one yeah. point, I actually got a smartwatch that would, like, give me a little alarm, mm-hmm. like, 10 minutes before I needed to wrap something up so that I could wrap it up. And, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes it would be, oh, I'm not going to wrap this up. I'll text the next the person that I'm yeah that's waiting on me or whatever that I'm not going to wrap it up because at least then I'm mm-hmm. doing the proactive communicating thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say that's a big, that's a big one for me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. I know something that's come up for me as well is that getting a little too excited about what the idea of a new partner means. Mm. This comes up like less in the context of being autistic or ADHD and more on the traumatized side of neurodivergence. Which they often go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. We we have yet to meet a non-traumatized neurodivergent person, I think. But it's a whole separate topic that I just did not have the space to cover in this book. So good news. Thorn Apple Press has something coming out later about this. And also there's Polysecure that already came out. But there can be this idea that being able to get lots and lots of people to call you a partner is some sort of innate validation of your value as a person, regardless of your ability to follow up on what that means to them or to you. Right. And that, that, that can be very exciting. I I definitely overextended myself uh, a while back, uh, which became a matter of some regret. (laughs) Well, it makes sense, though, if what mm-hmm. you've experienced previously yeah. uh, is a lot of rejection, like some people can mm-hmm. overcompensate in the other direction, for sure. Yes. And and that happened to me, but in a different mm-hmm. way, where I found mm-hmm. myself being included in a social group, where mm-hmm. in, in a way, I mean, I'd had a lot of friend groups uh, in my adulthood, but this social group was like really intimate and really close and just mm-hmm. like, it just felt so magical. And then when some things about it to me felt 
harmful and coercive. And Mm -hmm. I had a hard time stepping away from it because Mm -hmm. it was so, I was so excited to be there and to be included. And Mm -hmm. again, I think what so many of us crave, like again, humans, not autistic people, not people with ADHD, but humans is a Mm -hmm. feeling of belonging. Yeah. So much. um, Yeah. So when when we're yeah, when we that's... find it somewhere, whether it's through romantic partnership or a friend group or what mm-hmm. have you, or polycule, it can we can get like you said, overly enthusiastic about it and maybe mm-hmm. be out of alignment with our values. Yeah, and the result can be uh, having a schedule that becomes difficult to navigate and uh, not being able to uh, provide the level of commitment that one promised and having to reevaluate some relationships. Yeah. They, they mostly did it for me in a <laughs> complicated situation. I probably shouldn't say in a recorded medium. <laughs> well, I, the, the getting the kid in a candy store, uh, mm-hmm. that, that I, I think that there are plenty of people who can identify with that. Who's, oh, who've had that so much. And, and you're absolutely right that it's driven by the, having dealt with the opposite for so long of uh, mm-hmm. being something that no one seems to want. And then all of a sudden multiple people want you at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you're going to ride that train as far as it goes. And unfortunately, if you don't exercise some restraint on the way there, you end up hurting not just them, but yourself. Right. Well, that, I think that's a perfect mm-hmm. place to transition into. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's say we've convinced you. <laughs> or really, I'm not trying to convince anybody, but Alyssa, I think Alyssa is trying to convince you. <laughs> so let's say Alyssa's convinced you. Uh, mm-hmm. What are some strategies that we would tell folks who are who know they have a different type of brain, mm-hmm. uh, who want to step into this world? What would we tell them that would be sort of the keys to success? Hard won lessons that perhaps we've learned <laughs> keys to, for specifically for folks who who are neurodiverse. A big one is uh, understand the nature of your neurodivergence as thoroughly as you can. Even if you don't necessarily want to name it in public, you you want to know know, what parts of you are connected to this and therefore which ones you would be hard pressed to set aside for someone who is otherwise interesting because they're just part of how you're wired. And this also informs the challenges you might face as part of the relationship. Every form of neurodivergence, however much their attributes might overlap, comes with a different cocktail of all these ingredients. And knowing yourself is critical. It's critical for being alive in general, whatever you get up to with the gift of life. But in in this endeavor, where it's specifically about pursuing relationships without the guiding heuristic of social norms, you need to know exactly what you are presenting to someone else. And be open and upfront about who you are as much as is safe for you to be. Well, and as much as you can. Because it's, yeah. That as well, yeah. Because it's it's not really fun for anyone if you, you end up you know getting close to someone who isn't getting close to the actual you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are all sorts of stories about people who have to hide big pieces of themselves in order to have relationships. And I remember what it felt like to be so lonely that that deal seemed appealing. It sucks. 
in every way that you can conceivably scrounge up the option to not do that, don't do that. Mm-hmm. It's better for your long-term mental health in so, so many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, top of, further from there, I, this is more for the Hispanic people in the room, mm-hmm. but I, if if your partner insists that if you're not making the big loud displays of jealousy every time they interact with someone <laughs> of a gender they find appealing, that's mm-hmm. their problem. Mm. If they leave you over that, they're doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank them for their service and send them on their way. Marie so, Kondo that nonsense as soon as you possibly can because it's not worth it. <laughs> so, yeah, jealousy is not a love language. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I want every Cuban American on the planet to hear that over and over in their sleep until they get it. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and you had said and something about I dealt with in high school. Oh boy, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you said something mm-hmm. about a good coping mechanism for RSD, like like in terms of like if you know people who. Mm-hmm struggle with again not just you know mm-hmm. the prospect of rejection but really mm-hmm. any negative feedback when like mm-hmm. the system thrives on feedback and some of it will be negative because we'll have to mm-hmm. iterate we'll have to make adjustments mm-hmm. we'll have to say that didn't work for us or i didn't like that or that was hard for me mm-hmm. what would you suggest that for people who know they uh, struggle with that yeah uh, yeah when you're facing an rsd type pokemon its type weakness is patience mm. <laughs> rsd but leads to great big emotional spikes that can be very dramatic, but they do not have the endurance to last. You, The best thing that you can do for yourself is take a big, deep breath, tell that other person you're going to take some time to process, and then make absolutely no rush decisions. Yeah. Every decision I have ever regretted in my entire life has been a rush decision. <laughs> yeah, I will co-sign that. Um, my partner here mm-hmm. and I actually taught a workshop on how to slow down. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that 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 just dovetails beautifully to what you said. Uh, when you know that you're spinning out, mm-hmm. learn how to be nice to the parts of you that are struggling mm-hmm. and slow down with yourself. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then and then again, you can go back to advocating for yourself, but mm-hmm. from a regulated place. Yes. Um because what's happening usually mm-hmm. with people with RSD, and this mm-hmm. is, you know, this is my my lay person understanding of mm-hmm. it, is the reason why that's a thing is because we've been experiencing so much rejection mm-hmm. from the time we were little, like that nothing we could do was right. Yeah. And so we would hear, and it's been shown that especially kids with ADHD, mm-hmm. like the number of times that they've been corrected mm-hmm. by the time they're five years old is like, I think, 20 times what a neurotypical kid would experience. And I, I, I probably don't have that number quite right, but it's, it's substantial. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you'd think that that would mean that your tolerance for it would be high, mm-hmm. but for, and for some people, I do think their tolerance is really high to the point where they just, they have a wall up mm-hmm. around feedback, which is not helpful either. But like, I think for a lot of people, it makes them sensitized to it. And there's usually no care provided mm-hmm. for all of that criticism, you know, no, mm-hmm. like, it's just that you're wrong. Not that there's a skill you don't have or there's something you don't understand yeah. that you need help with. Mm-hmm. And so like you being able to kind of reparent yourself in a way and be able mm-hmm. to say to yourself, okay, I messed this up or my partner isn't happy with me right now or they're misunderstanding me or mm-hmm. uh, or this person didn't like me. Okay, probably what's getting triggered is some very small young part of you 
that probably just needed love mm-hmm. and didn't get it. And so when you can direct love towards that part, I think that that can help actually unwind that reactivity. Mm-hmm. And over time, if you get really practiced at it, it starts to become something that you just naturally do. Yeah. And and then it and then I think it gets a lot less hard. So much. In the interim, just putting some space between the inciting incident and the reaction mm-hmm. to it gives you uh, time to let that big emotional spike come and go, give you time to acknowledge what kind of reaction you're having, and gives you yeah. time to think about the criticism that you have just received and decide what you are going to do with it. And maybe the answer is telling the other person that, no, you're going to keep doing the thing because it's important. Or maybe it's, no, you're right. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm going to take the trash out on time next time. Uh, <laughs> and maybe it's, I think we can meet each other halfway in, in this matter. And maybe it's actually, I think this is someone else's fault entirely. <laughs> right. I, well, and, and, and nowhere mm-hmm. in there did I hear try to perfect yourself out of it, you know, mm-hmm. like try to just be more perfect. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's an important thing to hear is that I do think people who have RSD mm-hmm. either can be very like as a strategy yeah. to protect themselves, mm-hmm. do a lot of avoidance or do a lot of perfectionism. Yeah. And that's not the way out. You can't perfect yourself out of a correction. You just can't. Mm-hmm. It won't work. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So then you said you had some potentially good coping strategies for alexithymia. So folks who like imagining, mm-hmm. I'm imagining RSD and alexithymia might be a tough combo. Like, yeah, I feel really bad and I can't tell what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. In one of the big reasons I'm a writer is that being able to sit patiently with the situations in literary form has made them a lot easier to recognize and identify. So mm-hmm. a classic strategy for the working around alexithymia to build the skills that alexithymia is definitionally you not having is to read a lot and maintain a diary about what's going on in your day. And and that's how you figure out that that big arousal spike you had at one point in the day was actually you were just scared because there was construction noise outside at the same time that you got that email that and, and so on, or or maybe when they give you that bad news you were scared about what action they might take as a result of doing this and that's why you freaked out and not because you were angry with them or any of that. Like, Taking time to process is important. Taking time to review all the bits and pieces that come along for this big emotional ride is important. Uh, yeah, I mean, what what I hear in there mm-hmm. is like becoming an observer of yourself. Exactly. Like being, being able to, because if you can't feel it internally and let that be your mm-hmm. guide, sort of stepping outside of yourself and then looking, looking back at yourself mm-hmm. can help you understand what's going on. Exactly sort of yeah, therapeutic dissociation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wouldn't call it dissociation, actually. In fact, Dan Siegel calls it mindsight. Uh, is I like that better. And, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And, um, and you know, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, my One of my partners has, uh, I think, has alexithymia. I mean, there's mm-hmm. never been a diagnosis, but the way this person describes the operating their, their body is mm-hmm. um, sometimes like they feel like they're a little man inside of a robot suit trying to maneuver things around. And so not always aware of, of what is happening or even sort of like mm-hmm. what 
things trigger him or, you know, those kinds of things. And, and, and it's not so stark. Um, but, but I, you know, he was telling me the other day, he's like, you know, I just don't really have a sense of like, you know, what I am and what I am not. And I was like, how do other people have that? And, you know, I just don't have this internal felt sense of myself. And I said, your friend, and I said, your friend needs to look up the words dissociation and depersonalization. They they are going to find those paragraphs edifying. Mm -hmm. Probably. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I said actually was that Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I don't know that anybody perfectly has an internal Mm -hmm. felt sense of themselves exclusively. Like I have some of that. But a mm-hmm. lot of what I know about myself mm-hmm. is actually doing what you described, which okay. is journaling mm-hmm. and reflecting and stepping outside of my experience and looking looking inward at it mm-hmm. um, and um, and just having a witnessing mind about myself and also then mm-hmm. checking with other people. Like, I was thinking I was doing this. What did you see? Mm-hmm. And not taking their feedback as like the truth, but like yeah. combining that with what I've observed about myself with what mm-hmm. I've you know, what I felt internally, like combining all of that data to kind of construct who I am. Yeah. And then that's how later on you can tell people about who you are, right? Very much. <laughs> and it's extra important for people that say constantly get instructed to put certain emotional fronts up in certain situations, regardless of how they're actually feeling, mom. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and and have been told that the ways mm-hmm. that you respond naturally to things yeah. is in, is incorrect. You know, I mean, I remember like I used to really not understand why people would get so upset when someone died. Mm-hmm. Like that was it, it just didn't it didn't bother me. I think there was this and it still doesn't really bother me that much because I sort of accept that like everybody dies and mm-hmm. you never know when your life is going to end. Yeah. And yeah, it, it would be it's it's sad if there's somebody that you'd really like to continue to be in the company of isn't around to mm-hmm. keep you company. Um, but and it's, it's not that I don't care that someone dies, but I also just don't get like utterly distraught about it the way other people do. Mm-hmm. And I always just thought like, am I just broken because that's not how I feel? Mm-hmm. And and being able to, and like, you know, a lot of people, that's what masking is, right? Is being yeah. able to observe oh, this is the thing that I'm expected to feel, Mm -hmm. or this is the behavior that I'm expected to project or the reaction I'm supposed to have. And so I'm going to start doing that Mm -hmm. to be accepted without ever trying to understand why didn't I feel that? Why wasn't Mm -hmm. I acting that way? Why didn't I have that reaction? Um, So then you kind of bypass understanding yourself for Mm -hmm. behaving like everyone else. So I think that witnessing mind piece is like super important to unraveling masking and being the authentic you so much this this is all extremely true yeah well and i'll throw Mm -hmm. out for my time my time blind Mm -hmm. people um haven't figured it out (laughs) the best thing that i figured out is actually Mm -hmm. what Alyssa said earlier which is just to tell people on the front end i suck at time i work on it Mm -hmm. Uh, i have to tell my clients this too you know my my Mm -hmm. time isn't my time isn't perfect and um Here's what happens if I'm late. Here's what happens if you're late. Mm-hmm. Here's what I expect of you. Here's what I will do. Here's what happens when I don't do that. Um, and I get really good at repair because <laughs> because just sometimes mm-hmm. that happens. Because yeah. um, I don't expect people to be like endlessly compassionate if I'm keeping them waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, I I respect that it's if we're all time is like the one resource that we have really. Yeah. You know, and and, and people meeting each other halfway means that. The, not only should they exercise a reasonable amount of patience with you know, this kind of thing, but 
you have to understand why they would be annoyed with it if it keeps coming Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love, I love Mm -hmm. that. That's actually, that's so important. And I'm really glad you said Mm -hmm. it because I think that, you know, as we talk about Mm -hmm. like needing accommodation, needing understanding, needing compassion around any kind of difference that Mm -hmm. might show up in a relationship, it's, you know, as people who have been told that we need to do it norm the way the way the normal people do it, mm-hmm. you know, we've been having to. You described it as like we have to climb this huge mountain to meet people where they are, mm-hmm. and they don't have to do anything for us. Now we're not asking that everybody come down the mountain, <laughs> or mm-hmm. I don't like down, but you know, to mm-hmm. come down to where we are. Mm-hmm. I don't like the word down and up, but like I'm going to yeah. go with it for now. Um, instead, we just want to see each other. And meet mm-hmm. each other how how far we want to. Yeah. Right. Like nobody nobody has to meet me. Like if somebody really mm-hmm. time is really important to them, great. I probably should be in a relationship where we don't need to mm-hmm. be on time for things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I will do my best. I will do my best to meet mm-hmm. what you, where you are and what you expect. And I'll I just ask the same exactly. Indeed, and there are lots of other uh, quirks a neurodivergent person can bring that are best addressed in more very much the same way. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have different and sometimes incompatible expectations about what a comfortable home looks like. And, mm-hmm. and they can come up whether you're spending time with someone short term or trying to make a shared home work that you, you got to find some way for both people to feel like they're being honored in this matter. Yeah. Or else one person's just giving up a piece of themselves for the other. And Maybe it's a piece of themselves they never wanted, but if it's one they can't actually get rid of, then being forced to ignore it is is not going to be good for them. Well, or just not being able to do it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the thing that I often say to people yeah. is, you know, okay, I see that you'd like your partner to do this thing and they're not doing mm-hmm. the thing, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And they've you've asked them to do the thing. They've yeah. said they want to do the thing. So mm-hmm. you have an, ag- a, an agreement of some kind to do the thing, mm-hmm. whatever it is, but then it's not happening. I introduced this radical concept. Maybe they can't. Mm -hmm. Maybe -hmm. it's not about not knowing to do it. Maybe it's not about not wanting to do it. Maybe it's that they can't. And then what we have to do is be in a grief process about this thing that you wanted, Mm -hmm. just may not be possible in this relationship. And then you get to decide, can Mm -hmm. I live with that? Can I grieve that and let it go? Or or do I need Mm -hmm. to be in a different relationship? But what's the worst scenario is what you're describing, where Mm -hmm. the person's continually trying to meet some bar that doesn't mm-hmm. work for them, that isn't compatible with their system, right. that isn't possible for them. And mm-hmm. then they're perpetually feeling like not enough. And the other person's perpetually feeling disappointed. And mm-hmm. they're both making each other feel terrible. Yeah. Bad deal. Don't do it. Agreed. <laughs> so like, I get that. I feel like it comes back to know yourself mm-hmm. and, and be able to call it when you're like, look, this thing, whether it's a clean home or whether mm-hmm. it's time management or whether it's the amount of time it takes to repair a conflict because one person needs like three days to calm their nervous system before they can talk rationally about something, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you need to be able to like know what you're capable of and what you're not. And I mm-hmm. promise, I promise that I really do believe there's some, someone and probably some ones for everybody. I really believe that. Absolutely. And so I don't know, I guess maybe, maybe that's, that's where mm-hmm. I would leave it for myself is like, the more you can understand and embrace who you are, I think the more successful you'll be 
in general. Mm-hmm. Probably not in the normative world, actually, but in this, <laughs> but in this world that we've carved out for ourselves over here, that's that's where the juice is. And and honestly, I I think I I think I heard this from you, Alyssa, but I'll speak for myself that mm-hmm. the love that I have now in my life mm-hmm. that is on the terms of how I actually am as a human being is the best. Yes. It's the best. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's how I ended up being this beacon of neurotic autistic tidiness who mostly dates the absolute disaster trash gremlins. <laughs> you don't have to live with them, so it works exactly. out. Exactly. That's how we make it work. <laughs> cool. Anything you want to say before we part, Alyssa, that you want to just offer people before we say goodbye? You can do the non-monogamous thing, I promise you. You're, you're better at this than you think you are even if you're just starting and you can figure out where, where your hangups and challenges are and you can make this work right there are lots of ways it cannot work with a specific person there's plenty of toxicity to go around and the non-monogamy isn't a, a way to neutralize it all but you can make this work like it's there are very few personalities that absolutely require that you, you know, loudly proclaim that someone you love isn't allowed to show their love to other people or vice versa. Mm. If, if love isn't about freedom, then what's it even for? Wow. Also, I wrote a book based by my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and in addition to your book, which people can mm-hmm. buy wherever books are sold, I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah, that is correct. Um, how can other people uh, connect with you? You can find my work in general at alissacgonzalez.com. It's going to be spelled somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have it in the show notes. Okay. That is also where you can buy signed copies of this book. I've got a whole bunch more I want to not have on my shelf anymore. <laughs> Every now and then I put up discounts. Uh, my blog is the-orbit.net slash Alyssa. Can I confirm I remembered that right? And we'll link it. Yeah. Excellent. Doesn't update very often, but I like what I put up there. And I'm on a whole bunch of different social media, but you'll find the links for that on my website. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really lovely to talk to you. It's been an honor, a privilege, and a delight. Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. If you have any thoughts about what I've said today or a question for the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram as that polyam mom, or you can go to the show's website, makingpolyamorywork.com and submit a question there. I'll also say that if you're loving my podcasts, but you are looking for more support, I do this for a living. I am an integrative relationship guide. So I help individuals, couples, and groups have amazing relationships. You can find out more about my offerings on my website. If you love this podcast, please share it with your friends, your networks, your Facebook groups, your coworkers, your family, etc. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Also, if you listen on iTunes, I always love getting reviews. It literally makes my day. (laughs) And it'll also help more people find the show. Making Polyamory Work is created by me, Libby Sinback. It is edited by Finn of the Normalizing Non-Monogamy podcast and hosted on the Spotify podcasts platform. Vanda Leone manages the website and posts the transcripts. 
Thank you, everyone, and see you next time.